My name is Humble Gray, and I am a Mississippi farmer. Today, I would like to address a most pressing concern for our nation, the recalcitrance of youth and how best to attend it. Now, not long ago, I apprised you of events at the Seed Co-op, where a young assistant clerk garnered my peak, garnered it by bestrewing his desk with frivolous goo-gaws, i.e. plastic figurines depicting professional athletes of today and yesteryear. You may recall that, in an effort to spare the boy certain opprobrium, I prevailed upon him to modify his vocational environment by depositing each and every one of those puerile trinkets into a round metal waste container, a container that I myself proffered for said disposal. Now, you'd think that would be the end of the story, but far from it, dear listener, far from it. For this morning, you see, I once again patronized the co-op, hoping to acquire brassica seeds for cool season forage. A good field is like a good wife, you see, and not made to lie fallow. Anyway, there sat the young assistant clerk, as expected, and there, too, sat the goo-gaws, as not expected. That's right, friends. The youngster had obviously fetched them from the garbage pail and returned them to his desk. Well, sir, I've no need to tell you that I was flabbergasted, flabbergasted, dumbstruck, and stupefied, for I had adjudged the boy to be respectful of my pedagogy and grateful for my admonition, but now I saw that he was nothing of the sort and had instead resolved to pull the wool over old Farmer Gray's ingenuous eyes. And so, my Irish in full bloom, I approached the desk and its inconsonant display. Son, says I, do you recall the subject broached when last I was here? Yes, sir, says the boy, dull as an old butter knife. And do you also recall, says I, the resolution obtained following said conversation? Yes, sir, replies he, nescient of my ire. Well, young fellow, says I, how do you suppose I should meet such defiance? Do you think I should meet it with tolerance and resignation? Uh, says the boy, I don't rightly know. Then let me answer for you, says I. No, I should not. No, sir. This, my boy, must absolutely be met with proper chastisement, specifically with a spanking. The lad stared goggle-eyed. A spanking, sir, says he, but I'm nineteen. No matter, says I. You are a recalcitrant youth, and I am your elder. The only appropriate medicine for your temerity is an old-fashioned whooping from yours truly. I then instructed him to rise from his chair so that I might take his place, and such was the force of my authority that he obliged with little verbal resistance." "'Bend over, boy,' says I, and again, such respect do I engender that he did so, protesting only when I informed him that a proper tanning can only be administered trousers down. "'But, sir,' cries he, "'that would be too humiliating.' "'Nothing humiliating,' says I, "'about a job well done, and I intend to employ great skill in my exertions.' 
I then relegated his genes to half-mast, subsequent to which, still, dear listeners, the walloping commenced. This old farmer delivered blows with a calloused hand, while the boy, no stoic he, cried out with each strike. This is more embarrassing than any human being could endure, he wailed. It could not possibly be worse. At that moment, the Lady Social Society came walking through the door, delivering flyers for a bake sale. Farmer Gray, says the Society's president, why are you chastising this youth? He has dissembled, says I, and so must be corrected in a matter prescribed by the Bible itself. The ladies nodded in agreement, and then laughed and pointed at the boy as I continued to dispense discipline. Please, madams, sobbed the lad, do not laugh, for it magnifies my humiliation tenfold. But his pleas fell on deaf ears as the gals continued to display their mirth at his discomfiture. Oh, cries he, this could not possibly be worse. At that moment, Mississippi Girl Scout Troop number 106 came through the door, they being on a field trip to devise an appreciation of our local enterprises. Cognizant of their ingress, I invited them to view the lad's castigation. Step right up, girls, says I, and earn a merit badge in seeing a bad boy get spanked. Well, the scouts could not help but join the society ladies in their vociferous cachination. Oh, well, the boy, please let me go, for I have learnt my lesson and want no more truck with such baubles as are currently displayed in my workspace. But I was unmoved, for he was a disingenuous lad and fond of mendacity, so I continued my attendance upon his discipline, accompanied by a chorus of female laughter. Oh, cried the lad, if ever I reach centenarian status, still will I not have lived down the humiliation of this day, not even in that distant future in which we will all be driving flying cars. This could not possibly be worse. At that moment, a middle-aged woman arrived on the premises. It was the boy's own dear mamma bringing him the lunch pail he had forgotten at home. But what is this, said she, "'Farmer Gray, by what prevarication do you minister so to my son?' "'I am sorry, ma'am,' said I, "'but the boy has double-spoken "'and so requires harsh guidance to restore him to good character. "'If this be true,' says the mamma, "'then I must, my son, turn you out of our home, "'for you have brought obloquy upon the family. "'And though you wander destitute through the streets, "'we must from this day forward treat you as a stranger.' Oh, well, the boy, now I am brought low, for I am without shelter and must drift in the wilderness as Hagar wandered in Beersheba. This could not possibly be worse. At that moment, a pretty girl of 18 walked through the door. Oh, no, the boy sobbed. It is Polly May, the girl I proposed to one week ago. Greetings, miss, says I, when she had espied us through the crowd. Your prospective fiancé has espoused false vows, for which I am exacting a fitting price. Heavens me, cried the girl, if he is truly guilty of such deceit, then the pledge he made to me must be false as well, in which case the proposal of marriage to which I was about to assent is now declined. We cannot wed, and I wish never to see this boy again. She then turned on her heel and exited the premises. 
Oh, wept the lad, now I have truly lost everything, the respect of the community, the roof over my head, and the hand of the only woman I shall ever love. I am as bereft as any man alive. And through his tears, I detected at last the true spark of remorse I'd so eagerly sought. But still I needed one final piece of evidence that the boy had truly absorbed the lesson— And what, says I, continuing to lay on the swats, has begotten your ignominious state? Those gewgaws, wailed he. It was those gall-darned gewgaws. How dearly they have cost me. Then he lay across my lap, weeping and choking as if his very spirit had been broken. Now convinced that the lad was in earnest, I ceased my corporal ministrations and released my grip, allowing him to slide to the floor. Seeing that the chastening was well and truly concluded, the Girl Scouts, the Lady Society, and the boy's now estranged mama filed out of the seed co-op. But their giggling continued even in their egress, though in my opinion it was somewhat gratuitous. When I looked about me, I saw that the boy had crawled into a dusty corner, where he lay curled in the fetal position, shoulders shaking with the force of his heavy sobs. I approached gently, for I knew his contrition to be genuine, and knelt close to his ear. "'Say, fellow,' says I, in a placid and genial tone, "'any chance I could get a discount on brassica seeds?' But no reply was forthcoming, and I left the establishment with empty hands. "'Oh, well.'" Seems they've opened a new Chinese restaurant over the border in Zare County, an establishment by the name of Yum Yum Glory House, which seems a bit of gasconade, if you ask me, but that's no concern of mine, since I've no intention of patronizing this eatery. No intention at all. Why, you may ask, do you, Farmer Gray, lack sapidity for the tastes and textures of Asian cuisine? Well, sir, I wouldn't know. Never tried it, you see, and never will. The reason? I will not fall victim to the wiles of Chinese communism, for China is a red nation, my friends, exporting victuals contrived to turn our beloved republic against itself, stirring their vegetables in a big bowl till they reach a crispy turn, instead of boiling them limp and soggy as God intended." "'mixing them with bite-sized pieces of meat "'requiring no wielding of the knife, "'thus discouraging good Americans "'from bearing arms at mealtime "'should the commies invade during dinner. "'And finally, once they've sated our citizens "'with mounds of savory, reasonably priced comestibles, "'rendering diners logy and malleable, "'executing the coup de grace, "'i.e. bestowal of the fortune cookie,' That's right, the fortune cookie. Looks like a squashed football and folds a thin paper prophecy within its brittle shell. And what are these prophecies conveyed to the restaurant's food-drunk clientele? You will meet a tall, dark stranger. You will take a long journey. You will come into money. That's right, dear listeners, the very things one would expect to hear when recruited to spy against one's own country. 
The food leaves you suggestible, and the cookie instructs you to meet with your Chinese handlers, fly to the mysterious Far East with pilfered American technology, and receive a handsome payment for said treason. Honest to grace, that fortune cookie might as well say, you will breach the Hewlett-Packard firewall. Makes you wonder if MSG stands for must-steal gadgets. Food for thought, ladies and gentlemen. Food for thought. Yes, sir. I informed you of the dire situation in Zare County, where a Chinese restaurant, read Red Chinese Front, opened its doors recently, intent on sabotaging our democracy with communist-contrived comestibles and catechizing fortune cookies. Well, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Farmer Gray is nothing if not civic-minded, and this affront to American principles cannot be allowed to stand. Thus did I address the congregation of the First Baptist Church, forwarding my contention that Chinese food represents an escalant thoroughfare for an influx of fellow travelers. We must protest, declared I, propounding a demonstration before said restaurant, one Yum Yum Glory House, to be carried out during the Wednesday lunch rush. I had fully expected such auguries to whip my fellow congregants into a frenzy of patriotic compliance, but only one communicant, Edwina Fuller, responded to my adjudications. Well, the rest no doubt failed to apprehend the geopolitical complexities of the situation. So it was, come Wednesday noon, t'was just Edwina and me, placards in hand, standing one on each side of the restaurant doors, beseeching would-be patrons not to enter the premises on pain of a lost America. Do not choke on commie food, admonished my signboard in bright red letters. Abortion is murder, read Edwina's sign, with the dear woman calling out, Life begins at conception each time someone breached our phallus for ingress. I tried to explain to dear Edwina that this was a restaurant, not a clinic, so her berations might not be appropriate. But once she gets something in her head, well... And besides, she was with me, a worthy adjuvant to my efforts, and the only other local Baptist to fathom the risk of this Maoist onslaught. To my consternation, however, our cardboard appraisals and verbal warnings evoked no positive effect, with diners entering the restaurant's double doors as if they considered themselves immune to the treasonous machinations within. Those who did regard us assumed bemused expressions, naive to our portent. And admittedly, Edwina's sign did not clarify matters, right place though her heart might be. What, they killin' babies in the Chinese restaurant, asked one passerby in response to Edwina's entreaties. And in the greatest of ironies, I was impelled to defend the very enterprise I sought to vilify, calling out, No, sir, it's just the communist food we protest. Rest assured, a lady who enters this establishment in the family way will exit in the exact same state, possibly enthralled to a foreign agency, but still with child. After about 20 minutes of such goings-on, an Asian gentleman in a white apron and cap emerged through the doors, looking, I will admit, not so much enraged as befuddled by the protesters occupying his sidewalk. An obvious ruse, such, such perplexity, 
to obscure his culpability in anti-American activities, for I am sure, meeting Farmer Gray's steely eye, he was well aware that he'd come face to face with a wily Western foe. "'Is there something I can do for you?' asked he in the guileless manner of a trained spy. "'Yes,' says I. "'I should like to speak with the proprietor of this establishment.' "'I am the owner,' says he. "'That's so,' says I. "'Well, then, where's your suit, your tie, your shined shoes, "'the accoutrements of executive privilege? "'Surely the legatee of such a fine establishment "'would not be attired as a common cook.' "'I cook,' says he. "'I own, I cook, I wash pans, mop the floor, "'answer the phone, and pay the bills. "'Really,' says I, feigning incredulity, "'and your red Chinese handlers couldn't come up with funding "'for an adequate staff?' "'Red Chinese!' exclaimed this multitasking owner, "'a man who cooked, cleaned, and plotted to overthrow democracy. "'Taiwan,' says he, "'Taiwan!' "'Well,' says I, with a chuckle, "'I would certainly have to tie one on "'before I ever set foot inside your door.' "'Suddenly, Bert Landry, Zare County Sheriff, "'pulled up beside us, "'exiting his vehicle with the calm self-assurance "'of a man who's been elected three times to his office, "'no viable opponent in sight. "'Hello, Mr. Lee,' says Bert, friendly as you please. "'Farmer Gray,' says he, touching the brim of his hat, "'Afternoon, Bert,' returns I. "'What seems to be the problem, gentlemen?' asks the sheriff, "'all equanimity, even in the face of a communist threat. "'This man,' says Mr. Lee, indicating yours truly, "'he says we have communist food, "'and she,' he says, pointing at Edwina, "'says we terminate pregnancies. "'For the record,' says I, "'while I do espouse the former, I don't the latter. "'I see,' says Bert.' Well, be that as it may, I think, Farmer Gray, that you and your well-intentioned friend may have to move along. How so, Sheriff Landry, I asked, taken aback at the prospect. Surely Zare County would not silence a lone voice in the wilderness, aimed to wrest our Grand Republic from the jaws of the Chinese dragon. Not in theory, says Bert, but in practice, you and your friend are blocking entry, interfering with a tax-paying commercial enterprise. No, sympathetic as I might be to any attempt to concentrate the American mindset against foreign dilution, I'm afraid, Brother Gray, that the two of you must move along, and must do so with alacrity. Well, sir, a man must obey the law, even as it stands before him, wide-eyed and ingenuous. So it was that Edwina and I tossed our placards in the back of my pickup under the watchful gaze of Bert Landry and the triumphant Mr. Lee. My co-protesters shed some tears, bemoaning the fate of the unborn, and so downcast was I that I made no attempt to set her straight. But as I made to ascend into the truck's cab, I cleared my throat and declaimed in a loud, steady voice, "'You have won this round, Mr. Lee,' but I declare to you and your Politburo, never shall I set foot in Yum Yum Glory House. Not today, not tomorrow, not ever. Mr. Lee nodded and then whipped from his sleeve a long folded piece of paper. No problem, said he, proffering the takeout menu. We deliver. Oh, good Lord. Play me out, Zeke. (laughs) 